Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts. Give us a review, five-star review. We'll read it on the air. And we have a Blu-ray or two to give away, including the Ice Spit on Your Grave 40th Anniversary $70 value if you want that. Uh, we're also on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, help support the podcast at patreon.com slash criticspod. It is the best way to help us out. And then there's also our T Public merch at ihatecritics.net. Uh, click on the T Public link or just go to tpublic.com and search criticspod. Uh, we're not doing YouTube this week. Technical difficulties, life difficulties. So, uh, Forgive us there, but if you do want to listen to us on YouTube, uh, we're usually Monday evenings between 6 and 9 central time, give or take, depending on our schedules. Uh, go to our YouTube page and click on the bell to get notified. We'll also put a link when we go live on our social media accounts. All right, let's jump right into the show this week. Is there any news like there was last week? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not really, thankfully. Yeah, nobody slapped anybody. Nobody died. Um, yeah, no, no, no real controversies. Mel Gibson I did the first... walk out of an interview because someone asked. Oh, him did he? They asked him this morning, <laughs> "What if that was you, Mel?" And he goes, "He pointed at the the camera and he laughed. He goes, we're out of time,' <laughs> and didn't answer it, which I don't blame him." Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, what were you going to say before I cut you off rudely? Apparently, some apparently the first reviews of the Northmen are coming in, and they're very, very good. So that's uh, exciting. <laughs> they were going to say they were bad, and I was like, "No, you wouldn't say anything otherwise." <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. No, I, yeah, Twitter is already kind of it's it's trending on Twitter right now. The Northmen, and apparently, early reviews are very, very good. Well, we're going to start the podcast the other way, and. Start with the bad reviews, and we'll start with Morbius. <laughs> Morbius stars uh, Jared Leto as Dr. Michael Morbius, who was born with a rare blood disorder that has uh, been killing him mo- much of his life. He's managed to keep himself alive through his Nobel Prize-winning brain by creating a fake form of blood that has uh, helped to sustain his life as well as the life of his best friend Milo, played by, uh, played by M- Matt Smith of, of uh, Doctor Who fame. Uh, but uh, slowly but surely he's going to die unless he comes up with something. And he's come up with this idea regarding vampire bats and the way that vampire bats are able to uh, ingest blood and, uh, and thus a way maybe to help people like him have, keep their blood uh, healthy. Uh, he experiments with vampires. He turns himself into a vampire, ends up killing an entire ship full of people in international waters uh, because his experiment is so violently wrong. Uh, and uh, nearly kills his uh, girlfriend, played by Adria Arjona. Thankfully, she survives. Um, he then uh, they, he then lets his cure fall into the hands of Milo, who's a much less uh, ethical guy who goes on to kill a bunch more people and engage in drinking of human blood. And the two are building up towards a uh, final showdown. Jared Leto is a black hole of charisma. He does not seem to know what fun is in any way. Uh, <laughs> this has come through in just about every performance of his, where uh, even ones where you'd think he would be self-aware, he, he appears as if he doesn't understand basic general humanity. He seems to have absolutely no ability to recognize another human being. And so watching him act against other human beings is kind of strange. Um, he, is, he leaves everybody else in the movie floundering, trying to get something from him. Uh, you can sense the the difficulties that people like Gabriel Arjona and Matt Smith are having uh, acting opposite him, trying to get him to seem like a regular human being because he just doesn't seem like a regular person. He just seems like this robot who's just sort of enacting things that kind of seem like they might be human but aren't. And I, I understand that's probably a choice in his part to play this character as not human because it's not necessarily a fully human character, but... I think you're taking this a little bit too seriously, Jared. <laughs> he's just, he is a black hole of charisma and he's been this way uh, much of his career, even in his best performances, even in the roles where he's, you know, uh, best known, like uh, his Oscar winning role in Dal- Dallas Buyers Club. He just doesn't seem like a regular human being. Uh, and 
that can be good. Maybe that has mostly been bad in my experience of him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that disappears into the role and is like at twenty four seven or five. If I mean, I guess I've never really been on set, but from what I've read and heard, which is why largely he gets good reviews. But you watch the trailer. I mean, he's. It looks like it's supposed to be more like a Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds kind of type of performance. You know, those. You know, even Oscar Isaac and like X Machina, that kind of kind of a smart ass kind of fun. Probably the easiest role there should be to play. <laughs> maybe not, <laughs> or maybe not easiest isn't the right word. Because it's but it, normal human being, you know that there's he. You clearly can tell they're trying to make jokes in the trailer and. Uh, it sucks that they don't land. Well, yeah, and, they, and a lot of the stuff that's in the trailer isn't even in the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's Jared Leto's always been a weird guy, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just seemed like a weird movie for him to do. I kind of thought he was done acting until he started. Then he did Dallas Buyers Club, and then he'd pop up here and there and. He's always, I thought, been fine in the movies that he's in, but you know, he he was in the movie he was going to be in. He didn't necessarily know what movie he was in all the time, but he was in a, <laughs> that's a, a movie himself. That's a very that's a very good observation. That reminds me of his role in Blade Runner uh, twenty forty nine. <laughs> like, you know, Jared Jared's making a movie too. <laughs> well, that one movie that was terrible with. Uh, uh, Denzel and the uh, oh, what's his oh, name? Yeah. The little things, yeah. Uh, Rem- yeah. Rami Malik, Malik, yeah. And in fairness, I wanted to see Jared Leto's movie. I think, <laughs> uh, but he was definitely not in the same movie as Denzel or Rami Malik. And I don't even know if they were in the same movie as each other. To be honest <laughs> with you, that was such a train wreck of a movie. True that. Uh, but it just seems like an odd. Sure. Like I get why you'd want to do the Joker because that you could maybe do something fun there. Then they didn't even use mm-hmm. it at all. Uh, but this one just seems like why would you be in this movie? <laughs> it's I mean it's got to be weird for a director when a guy shows up on screen shows up and he's got uh, like he did his own Joker makeup and he's got his own Joker backstory and you're like dude I didn't ask you to do any of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I really did that. I like. I don't really have much for you, man. <laughs> but at least that's... I appreciate a, the work. But like, right. wow. But that's a character that's that would be fun to do that to. This, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> Morbius, I guess a Spider-Man bad guy at some point. I don't know. Yeah, and that's the that's another weird thing. I'm not trying to spoil anything, but like the the ending of this movie is so fucking weird because he spends the entire movie. Uh, Aside from when he kills a couple people because but they're bad guys, so he's like, you know, killing them doesn't seem like it's intended to be that bad a thing. But he spends the entire movie being essentially an anti-hero, I guess, like a guy who's not trying to be bad, but will do bad things in order to stop bad people. And then at the end of the movie, he's like linked up with Michael Keaton's character from Spider-Man uh, Tombs, the Vulture. And he's going to be, I guess, a villain. And it makes absolutely no sense. Like, they're not connected throughout the movie in any way. Tombs essentially just sort of shows up at a jail. Like, he was blinked into existence out of nowhere in this universe. And then he somehow connects with Michael Morbius, even though they don't really tell us how he does it. Uh, He gets out of jail, and then he just sort of goes to where Michael Morbius is, as if they set up a pre-existing meeting. And the two begin to form the, the Sinister Six. And it's like, what the? where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> You've not done this the entire movie. Yeah. Now, I've been living under a rock. Are, are, are there fellow critics agreeing with you on this one? Yeah, I, it's weird. Like, it, I think there's this uh, sort of troll audience that is trying to push a positive narrative on this movie. Like, they're trying to tell people that it's good in terms of the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics have pretty much panned it. We were pretty much expected to pan it uh, you know, from the very beginning. And uh, everybody's instinct appears to be pretty right about this. It looked like a train wreck, and it is pretty much a train wreck. Oh, wow. It's 16% to 70. <laughs> yeah. Insane. But I think, I like I said, I think that's trolls. I think those are trolls who are just out to, they don't necessarily like the movie. They're just, 
they're just building up the movie just to troll, basically. Right. I don't know how I did at the box office. I, I think it probably finished first, but I don't, I don't know for sure how well it did. That's fine. Not a big deal. Uh, is it worse than the bubble? <laughs> Very good question. I think I think I would rather watch Morbius because it's shorter. <laughs> yeah. The bubble stars Karen Gillan as a uh, as an actress who is returning to. Uh, work on a film series that is essentially Jurassic Park, uh, but a comic heightened version of that called Cave Beasts or Cave Monsters. I can't remember. I don't because I don't care. I don't fucking care what it is. Uh, Cliff Beasts. That's what it is. Um, she's in. She's uh, she was away from the series and now she's coming back, but it's in the middle of the pandemic, so she has to go into. Uh, quarantine before she can go into shooting and they go at the bubble. It's this mansion hotel in uh, in England where she and the rest of the cast will be sequestered throughout the entirety of filming. Um, the idea here is just is directed and written by Judd Apatow, who of course, one of our all time favorites. I mean, he did, he's done amazing movies, uh, Judd Apatow movies. We really love. Um, and somehow I guess at the time since he did his last movie, the King of Queen, the, the King of, Staten Island. Staten Island, thank you. Close. Queens. Queens is nearby. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> close enough. Uh, he's grown extraordinarily bitter about movie stars and Hollywood and the pandemic. He hates the lockdown and, uh, and uh, just just whining, just whining about uh, overprivileged actors and uh, and blockbuster movies and and uh, the pandemic. He hates it all. He hates everything. He hates everyone. And he's going to take that out on us in this movie by by uh, placing us in in the in the path of these characters that he hates, that he's built up to be hated, who are just not good people, who are not fun to be around. They're whiny. They're bitchy. They're just the 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 supposed satire of the pandemic is just. I don't like being in quarantine. Wah! <laughs> like, <laughs> great observation, Judd. Well done. Um, the only character with given any kind of slight amount of dignity is his daughter, of course. And she plays a TikTok influencer, which is just never funny. Uh, it's just never a joke that lands. There's no joke that lands in this movie. This movie is just bitter and, and mean-spirited and ugly from beginning to end. And even Karen Gillan, who's one of my favorite actresses in the world, just is beaten down by this premise. Yeah, in a world that has Tropic Thunder, this movie, <laughs> you know, this movie doesn't need to... That, that movie at least had teeth. You know, it, there was something... It, it pushed the boundaries. It was, there was edgy things. And, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface, and it's not offensive you know <laughs> it's this is like an snl version of tropic thunder and i love snl but they're five minute sketches you know they're not mm-hmm. two hour movies and it just and it's <sighs> tropic thunder they like robert downey jr is playing something he probably would have done at one point you know <laughs> And Tom Cruise, same, you know, and he was playing something yeah. different, but it was still, they're making fun of themselves. This is them going, we're making fun of you, like, but we're not like that. We're in the same industry, but we're not like, you know, it, they, they weren't in on the joke that they were telling and mm-hmm. they were trying to separate themselves. And then, which is part of why it didn't land or even come close to landing. I mean, it was awful. It was a really, really bad movie. Uh, and it's not fair to the actors. It sucks. It's just a terrible premise. Terribly, it really is. Terribly That's written. such a great point, though, about Tropic Thunder. And they, you know, Tropic Thunder goes way over the top, but they know they're doing it. Like they know they know what they're doing is taking the most offensive shit in the world and making it even more offensive, but also being in on how offensive it is. Like it's just so completely up its own ass in the most in the best possible way. This movie is just all ass. It's just all people showing ass. And that's just not not fun to watch. Uh, none of the characters are given any kind of purpose. There's no there's no entry character, no one you can identify with and and uh, kind of carry the ball in terms of audience interests. Like uh, Karen Gillan's character has no point or purpose. She doesn't have any kind of arc from beginning to end. She doesn't change at all. None of the characters start one place and end in another place. They all 
uh, basically remain the same selfish, jaded asshole from beginning to end. Um, and then, you know, whining about the pandemic, I guess we're all kind of the pandemic isn't over. We're all kind of done with whining about the pandemic, guys. The only people who are whining about the pandemic are Hollywood people, right? <laughs> people on Twitter. And we're tired of those people. We're tired of listening to the whining. We just want to get on with our lives. Uh, and this, uh, just the, the, the stupidity, the, the, the thudding lack of satire here of that kind of whining is really just like one character they go into this lockdown and they're in this severe lockdown where one character tries to run out of the hotel and and go go AWOL and they shoot her hand off in this brutally violent scene and I'm like is the satire here like were people in California thinking that they were not allowed to leave their homes and like we're just going to take this is our comic extreme of that no, no one. Everyone was allowed to leave their fucking house and go to go to work in the store and do all that shit. You just had to wear a mask to do it. Like there was nothing that severe. What are you whining about, you big giant baby? <laughs> well, especially. I mean, even if you were gonna get like people to buy into it, like it's Iraq War after nine eleven. You know, you had a small window where people will be like, "Yeah, this is a good idea." Maybe May of twenty twenty. <laughs> This movie might have landed for some. <laughs> uh, now, it, one, it's so much time as we're, I don't want to say we're removed from it, but his version of what's going on is, you know, kind of out of our heads in a way, or I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just, it's not as fresh, you know, with two years of being in it, it's, we're sick of hearing about it. Two, the bitterness you mentioned is so strong in the movie that, it prevents it from being up the right ass, I guess, if that's the, if that <laughs> makes sense. I yep. mean, it is a bad, bad movie. and It's really terrible. And The thing about, like, you've got a cast here that, that can do something, but he's given them no character to play. Like, he gives them, it's like, he, it's like an improv movie in many ways. It's like they continuously run out of ideas for what they want these characters to do. Each actor is given kind of an idea, like Duchovny is given this, this David Duchovny's in it, and he's given this idea that he's an actor who wants to rewrite the script. And that's the only beat that he plays the entire movie. <laughs> uh, the same you know, can be said of Leslie Mann, whose character is uh, bitter about her divorce from David Duchovny. And so that's the only beat she gets to play. And then the, you've got, uh, I mentioned Karen Gillan. You've also got Keegan-Michael Key, who play, plays kind of an action hero character who uh, has like side businesses, side hustles that he does. He's like, I don't know what they're trying to go for here. What action star is he supposed to be a send up of? Uh, it doesn't make any, it doesn't land. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Um, Pedro Pascal is just on drugs. Like that's his character. You're on drugs. Got it. I give everybody drugs. That's it. That's the whole character. There's nothing more to it. That's the joke. And we're done. And it's just such a waste of these talented people in our time. It's uh, this movie should not be anywhere near two hours long. <laughs> that's funny one of the sketches on SNL this week was Pete Davidson singing a song about movies being too long <laughs> <laughs> which at the very end they go how long was King of Staten Island he goes two hours and 17 minutes but we needed the time to tell the story but Judd Avatar's movies he's, he's a, <laughs> you'll have to I'll have to send you this because this is a pretty funny sketch or a video or a music video they did but Apatow's movies mm-hmm. have always been overly long. He's not a great editor. Uh, even the movies yeah. I like, it's like, well, you could cut this out. And some of like funny people, you could cut out a lot. Now, some of it's mm-hmm. great that you'll be cutting out, but in terms of moving the story along, you could move stuff out. Uh, but mm-hmm. you had such great cast that were doing so much improv that you didn't care that you're wasting time. This is just a terrible premise, you know, from beginning yeah. to end. Awful. Uh, too bitter uh just do not watch this movie uh he needs to lose the bitterness and go back to finding people you know what he did well is he found a seth rogan or a steve carell or an amy schumer even a pete davidson and he would take their story and make a movie out of it he needs that again this he basically he found his bitterness and <laughs> made a bitter movie and it shows and it's not fun and it's just there's so much wrong with it. it my, Keegan yeah. Michael Key and Kate McKinnon, the characters like that. Again, there's nothing wrong with them as actors. I like 
both of them and everybody else that's from SNL and Mad TV that's in this movie. But because of the way he uses them, it comes off like a sketch comedy, uh, an overlong sketch comedy with no comedy. And it's not yeah. fair to anybody in this movie. Uh, this is all on Judd Apatow and nobody else. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely it is. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Kicking Blood. Kicking Blood, a vampire love story, stars Alana Bale as a uh, vampire who is kind of going through the motions. She goes hunting at night and she kills and she, she kills for, you know, fun, but also for kind of a sort of feminist style vengeance. Uh, one of the first kills she does is a guy who works the same library as her. Uh, he broke the heart of this woman that she liked, this older woman that she was friends with. And he was also a much older man who was being a creep to her. So she goes and she kills him and sucks his blood and goes home. Uh, and she kind of has a, she seems to have a pattern of seeking out like misogynistic men to do this to. But uh, she's walking home after she kills this guy and she runs across this guy laying in a pile of trash. Uh, and he's just kind of a young, good looking guy, but he's an alcoholic. So he's kind of, he's really hit rock bottom in a big way. Uh, she invites him to come home. He's asking her to kill him. Uh, she's going to oblige him, but she kind of sort of takes pity on him a little bit, lets him sleep, uh, goes to bed herself, gets up, goes to the library the next day. When she comes home, he's still there. And, but he's now he's kind of beginning to go through alcohol withdrawal and she finds it kind of curious. So she starts toying with him a little bit and talking with him and having conversations with him. And a couple of days go by and he's still not drinking, but he's in terrible, terrible pain. And she's like, well, why don't you just drink something? She buys him alcohol. She you know, puts it in a glass. She puts it in front of him. And says, just drink it. You'll feel better. And suddenly this starts to begin this idea in her head. Well, if he can quit drinking, maybe I could quit drinking blood uh she has these two vampire friends who kind of enable her uh, who also go out hunting with her and they seek out people to kill and she's got to defy them and try and also keep them from eating her new friend uh and uh, that becomes sort of the the final act of the movie it's a very you know vampire vampirism as a metaphor for addiction is a pretty common theme like that's been used many times but this is one that takes that very literal idea and and gives it some legs. It really takes it in a very interesting direction. And Alana Bale is not an actress I've heard of before, but she's quite good at cre at uh, creating this character and creating this idea and using this character's curiosity about humanity and suffering and addiction and kind of taking it to its most logical extreme. I, I was really impressed with that. I was really impressed with the idea behind this movie. And overall, I just really liked the look and the feel of it. I mean, it sounds like a pretty neat, interesting take on the vampire story, which I appreciate. Uh, I think over the last maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, I've lost track of time. <laughs> There's been some great foreign vampire movies like Let, Let the Right One In and that have interesting, unique takes. And that's that's cool. To, and then there's been Twilight. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't want to give all vampire movies credit, but uh, right. it's very cool. I mean, this sounds like very original. Everything you, from the get-go of you describing it, it sounded original. Then every every different take it took was something I hadn't really seen before. Yeah, the metaphor, sure, but the storyline sounds very original and very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing this one. Certainly better than Morbius. <laughs> Yellow, That's a low bar. Yellow wallpaper. The Yellow Wallpaper is a uh, story set in the uh, what was it, 19th century, I guess it is, uh, 18th century, whichever it is. Uh, this English couple is in a carriage. They're uh, riding towards their summer home. They have a baby with them. The baby is crying. The wife isn't doing anything. The husband said, would you please do something about the baby? So she picks up the baby and tosses it out the window. And the movie, and you're just like, ah! Like, what a way to start. Now, this, of course, doesn't really happen, but it's it certainly does set a great tone for what this movie is about, which is about a woman in the 1800s dealing with postpartum depression at a time when nobody knows what that is. Uh, and the, this is just such an incredibly moody, atmospheric, gorgeous movie with this central performance that is just so awesomely compelling. This woman is basically just locked into this room she can get out sometimes, go out in the garden, maybe. She's hearing voices. She's hearing screams in the night. She thinks there's something hiding in this ugly yellow wallpaper on the walls. 
and it's basically all in her head and nobody will take her seriously. Nobody treats her with seriousness. On top of which, you've got the baby, which is not necessarily a character. It's not barely a presence, really. But what it is, is just a reminder of how postpartum depression can manifest itself in a way. And in the case of this woman, it's manifested itself in a way that she never wants to see this baby. She doesn't want to be around it. She doesn't want to know it's there. She wants to just pretend it's not there. On top of which, she's kind of thinking about, if no one could help me, I maybe I just want to die. So there's these elements of suicidal ideation and uh, depression going on throughout. And examining that, that through a story set in that time period when nobody has really any kind of scientific idea about any of this, and certainly with the level of misogyny that we're dealing with at that time, nobody takes women's mental health seriously in this moment. It makes for a movie that is incredibly powerful and incredibly moving in how it deals with that idea. And that really makes this one of the better movies of the year. Oh, yeah. And it's it's an easy movie to fall in love with for a variety of reasons. It's hard to describe. Like, if I had to say it's like this, I mean, I guess I would say it's kind of like Krisha meets the Babadook. <laughs> I mean, and even that's kind of weird not even accurate but it's it's a horror movie without ghosts and shit <laughs> you know but, <laughs> but right. in a way it's like real ghosts you know postpartum depression is very real and very horrifying i know people that have gone through it and uh and you forget the misogyny part of it that's a whole other thing that's there <laughs> right uh, it is a a very it's more effective to me than you know your typical jump scare movie you know there's so much real going on here and all of it's you know we we can make a straight ahead drama but it's i think it's more effective doing it with this kind of tone because it's more what it's really like i mean it really is a horror movie for these people imagine not wanting to see your kid i mean that's what it is Mm -hmm. like and then you got to deal with and the fact you don't want to see it. And then you just spiral from there. And it, it, the shame spiral. Yeah. The being you, not only are you like, you don't want to see your own baby and you can't rationalize that, but then you're dealing with the shame of the idea mm-hmm. of not wanting to see your baby. What kind of mother doesn't want to see your baby? Like that's in your head. And then you've got other people putting that on you as well. It's like, why won't she spend time with the baby? And that creates this other form of shame and horror and it just is spiraling out of control that uh, actress alexandra lorith captures so beautifully she's just so wrapped inside of this this spiral and uh, she's alone in it you know her husband is n- rarely there she's got a maid who is completely out of her depth and trying to understand or deal with any of this and she is just alone in this alone with these voices in her head and this you know this atonal soundtrack that is kind of an underline to the emptiness of the place she is. It's as if it's as if this room that she's in, this house that she's in, is coming to life around her, and cre- and these noises are creating the soundtrack that is uh, driving her slowly insane. It really is just so brilliantly effective. And he, and I guess it's a book or story that already existed, and in in that story they never leave the room, which. I think it was a good choice to do it. I, I don't know. I think they executed it to perfection here because I, I think you the misogyny lays in harder when she is able to get outside the room and list the conversations and the, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. And it all, it all hits. You, you just need some air. Just go in the garden. Right. Just get, just get out in the garden. You'll be fine. <laughs> right. So I, I just, this movie was executed to perfection and, uh, I mean, how small of a movie is it? Is it? You know, I mean, it's, it's very small. Really? <laughs> you and I are probably the only people who know about it. <laughs> you and I and the actors. That's it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's on Amazon, iTunes, all the places you can rent movies. It's very good, very smart. Uh, and if you're into movies about mental health, and, and not just, you know, and it's an original take on it. And, and it's just... I would like to think it would help people understand it, what mental health is like. I don't know if that's maybe mm-hmm. I'm just being too naive, but uh, I just it's pure, just great execution, great acting, great visuals, great storytelling. I just absolutely phenomenal movie, one of the best of the year so far. Probably will stick around at the end of the year and remain one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Alexandra Lorth, the actress, is 
incredible. And a shout out to the director, Kay Pontuti, as well, who's uh, did an amazing job uh, crafting this film. And then I read your review on this next movie, The Sound of Scars, wishing I would have known. <laughs> You sent me the review plenty of time to see the movie, but I noticed it too late to watch it. But I'm kind of, it's about the band Life of Agony. Yes, Life of Agony, which is not a band I'd ever heard of, but apparently quite a popular band among hardcore heavy metal fans. Uh, they started out in the uh, early 19, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, found success in you know the places you find success with that genre in New York City. Uh, they started off in the mosh pits where they took kind of their traumatic childhoods and sort of uh use that to to get their anger out in those mosh pits and to, you know to, and they found acceptance and sort of a, a catharsis uh in just beating each other up and beating up other people and then hugging it out at the end of the night and uh i can't relate to that but it, uh, i understand the emotion of it uh you know i understand the 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 emotional element of it i get uh, and that movie really gets to the heart of that but also then uh takes you on a another journey because along the way uh, the lead singer of the group makes this incredible literal transition from being a man to being a woman and doing so in this spotlight uh, in this, in this genre that not that, you know, is kind of uh, based in masculine, hardcore masculinity. It's not an easy thing, but what you come away with is, is, uh, is how they get, how they got through via this remarkable love and support that they had for each other. Um, two of the band members that are our family members. One of them was their neighbor across the street. They've never really had a steady drummer. Their drummers have just kind of come and gone like <laughs> over the years. Spinal tap. Uh, just, yeah. Kind of like spinal tap. So, <laughs> you know, really until now they've got a, they've got a female drummer. They're pretty, pretty badass drummer. But uh, watching them just love each other and support each other and support her, especially their lead singer is, is really remarkable to watch. And it, it wasn't obviously she wasn't without challenges. She was you know, she was met with a lot of resistance among fans and even members of her family. But the, the what the movie gets to the heart of is how even in the toughest times, this even when things look bleak, like her band members were like, yeah, OK, that's that's who you are. That's who we are. Great. We love you. And seeing that is it's not not the typical story you you tend to hear uh, in a situation like this. And this movie really gets to the uh, lovely, beautiful, beating heart of that. Yeah, and I hate that there's like that's my scene. That's what I like. I'm like into hard rock and metal, and it drives me nuts because you know the artists that create that stuff aren't the masculine guys. You know, they're the kind of the outcasts and then you get a little success the next thing you know you got the football players and the jocks that are starting to get into your music and then you and i'm not saying the jocks are white supremacists but that's a whole other crowd that can get into this kind of thing and the next thing you know you're at a show and they're all there and it makes for kind of an awkward you know just a weird uncomfortable setting you know it's better in the small club when you get your your art artistic more people are trying to get stuff off their chest and express themselves in a different way. And I hate that, you know, the scene I like so much is, has that reputation. It's frustrating and uh, just a bummer. And, but I'm, it sounds like a fantastic documentary and I'm definitely going to check it out. That is the, the wonderful thing that I kind of, uh, kind of enjoyed and experienced about this movie and that I don't, I don't think I've ever really understood about that music. Cause again, that music just doesn't appeal to me from a sound perspective, but uh, what you get from them, especially from this band is this is their music is based in being raw and vulnerable and emotional and, uh, and how that, you know, in turn goes out into the audience and the audience is trying to be raw and emotional and vulnerable right back. And yeah, the, the, parasocial relationship that that creates with them but then you've got those other people who it's it's this it's this razor thin difference in the mosh pit between people who are trying to use violence to get out their emotions and people who just want to be violent and big and, and mean. strong yeah exactly and and that that razor thin edge there it creates it creates tension that can be exciting but it can, but it also creates like a negative atmosphere as well right in a band like this you know when like they're pretty small they never like they're 
they have their hardcore base and that's what's cool about it. a small band like this has a very passionate fan base but they don't have that large audience and when they go on tour with a band like i think they've toured with corn before that's they have such a bigger base so that's where you get these guys who go into the mosh pits just to be assholes and you know it, it's just uh i don't know anyway that's not what this movie's about this movie's about other things i just something that hits home for me personally that i <laughs> hate about that i think that scene. is as, that is an aspect of this well, movie yeah. though that that is yeah uh but i definitely want to see that and it's i'm assuming available amazon itunes all year place to see movies right all right our classic this week came out of flick chart last week it is called <laughs> goke body snatcher from hell and i think we had a very similar experience we have not talked about it yet with each other other than you sent me a small text message about it <laughs> But I had the same exact feeling you did. But go ahead. <laughs> Gok, Body Snatcher from Hell. I don't know anything about it or anyone who's in it. Uh, the premise is that a group of people are on a plane. Something has happened. There's a bomb on the plane. And then something else happens that may or may not be related to aliens. And an alien ship flies over the plane and causes the plane to crash and then you've got the survivors sort of trying to figure out what to do. Meanwhile, there's this guy on the plane who was essentially going to blow it up, who sneaks off, uh, seemingly trying to escape, runs into the alien ship, gets his head sliced open, and this gooey alien crawls inside of his skull and uh, takes over his body. It snatches his body, and he goes about uh, snatching other bodies. And uh, what what really caught my attention about this and what really shocked me is how much this reminded me of some of my favorite movies of the past, like five or six years. You can see elements in this in terms of just the visual style, especially of uh, a movie like uh, she, uh, she's, uh, she's, she's gone tomorrow. Oh God. Amy Sumetz's movie that I just love so much. Oh uh, and then she, she dies tomorrow. tomorrow. She dies tomorrow. Yeah. That's right wonderful film and much of the horror of that film plays out just across the face of the actors and and this use of color and light and uh, and sound and this movie does a lot of that with color and light and sound and and makeup uh, and then you know there's an element in terms of the i don't want to call it gore because it's not necessarily gory but uh what little viscera there is in this movie is somewhat reminiscent of a, like a nicholas winding wren which is a very interesting uh again stylistically the color the light the use of the use of light and music and sound again is very reminiscent a very low budget movie not not nearly as accomplished as those but but i love the fact that just this random 60s you know, body snatcher movie can have kind of elements that echo through time, almost, uh, you know, almost psychically to, to reach people like maybe Amy Sumetz or Nicholas Winding Wren. And, and uh, whether they know it or not, kind of that influence is sort of there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I thought the same thing. And I was, I mean, I'd necessarily think of those two specifically, but when you say it, it makes sense. I was kind of thinking Alex Garland uh, due to the yeah. next Machina Annihilation. But I mean, and I mean, even like a Robert Eggers, I wasn't really thinking until right now. Uh, any one of these people could have made this movie, and that's the whole time I. That was kind of what I was made me enjoy it because I was imagining it was being made today by one of those A twenty four directors or uh, one of the other super artistic directors that we see right now who make fresh and original movies. Uh, and oddly enough, I wasn't thinking about the TV because it shows. could be stylistically right. and even. Yeah. I mean, this stylistically been, and story wise, this could be made by somebody like that. Right. <laughs> and it could also be Lost or Yellow Jackets, the TV series, but I would rather <laughs> have it. I mean, I was still thinking about those type of movies, you know, uh, and it, it made it fun enough for me. I mean, I we only had a YouTube version with English dubbing, with no subtitles, which I prefer English subtitles to the dubbing usually. Sure. When I watch a foreign movie. Uh, so I maybe a little bit might have been lost, but it just it was just weird enough to remind me of something that uh, we've been watching the last five years, and that kind of made for a fun experience. Directed by Hajime Sato, uh, who uh, passed away in 1995. That's how long ago uh, this movie was. Is that uh, the director has been dead since the 90s? <laughs> yeah, this is from 1963, a- I think. 
right? It's a, it's a long time ago. 68. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and a lot of people just you, a lot of times you'll just look at a title like Goke Body Snatcher from Hell and it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre it sort of makes you like oh whatever you, know, you can get that out of here I don't care about that that's probably not going to be anything and uh, actually no it is it's something it's really something because it's they're really kind of weirdly onto something with this premise and the way it plays out and just this sort of weird low budget energy to it that is uh, just very very exciting and very you know, funny, but also kind of, but also kind of not scary, but like impressive. Just that somebody thought of that right. idea and thought of how to execute that idea. And really, I mean, just the the whole thing hinges on just this hole that is cut straight down the guy's face from his forehead down to the t- top of his nose. Uh, and you see, once you see that scar on somebody, you're like, oh shit, they're taken over by an alien. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, wow, okay, this guy's got it now. All right, <laughs> and you and they created a, a really uh, very compelling uh, lead character in the pilot. Who uh, you know, he's not a great character by any stretch, but he's a good enough character that he's an he's like uh, a hero. I mean, he goes out trying to save people, and he's trying to save other people. And you've got these craven cowards who are like, throw that person that the zombie get and save me you know <laughs> and you want to see it's it's a classic story you want to see that guy punished you want to see the pilot guy survive and make it through this and uh you know it's very very smart very typical filmmaking but uh for it to be like a 1960s japanese monster movie uh it has a lot of strong ideas and resonance through to filmmaking today and the movie he's most known for <laughs> and I put known in quotes, is called The Golden Bat. And the premise of that is when the Earth is threatened by an evil alien, a group of UN scientists travel to the lost city of Atlantis where they unearth a superhuman mummy named the Golden Bat who is prophesized to help the humans survive this terrible attack. (laughs) This one's in black and white. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, but yeah, that was kind of fun for me. It was kind of... I, I I enjoyed it. I had a great time watching this movie and I had a great time thinking about this movie and and how it could be remade today very very easily. Absolutely. Uh 1992 you stop me if you want to talk about any of these. <laughs> Beethoven, Straight Talk. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> Thunderheart, Rockadoodle. I didn't watch any of them. I've seen Beethoven, yeah. maybe Straight Talk. It's been a long time. Uh, but anyway, next week we've got Ambulance, Sonic 2, and I think on Amazon there's a movie called All the Old Knives, i.e. with Chris Pine is in it. Our classics, Brewster McCloud, uh, because in 1992, The Player, Newsies, Sleepwalkers, and Fern Gully all turned 30, and uh, Robert Altman did The Player, a movie I think we both like. Do you like The Player? I'm assuming you do. I, I bought the Criterion oh, that's uh, right. Blu-ray. So right before the show. Very, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, it'll be fun to knock out two of his movies this week. Uh, before we head over to Flickchart, just a reminder to follow us on our social media platforms, Critics Pods are Handle, uh, patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to support the podcast, and then our Public page. Uh, search critics pod don't forget to give us a five-star review on apple podcasts and write a review we'll read it on the air and you will get a copy of a blu-ray of some sort possibly the ice put in a grave 40th anniversary 70 dollar value uh, and that was two years ago now with inflation it could be even more who knows who knows uh <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing all right let's play a little flick chart We will start with 28 Weeks Later or Blue Velvet. 28 Weeks Later. Yeah. I just can't stand it. I can't get behind Blue Velvet. I just can't. I just, I always want to pick David Lynch. And it's one of those movies that I want to say I like, but it's, I never go back and watch it. And now it's a, it's a reputation movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, but after watching A Clockwork Orange, which is also a reputation movie, but it's a different, like, there's more art there. Like, Blue Velvet's just more of, this guy's, like, sometimes I like it when he's up, I mean, he's always up his own ass, David Lynch. <laughs> and sometimes it, 
is fun for me, but that one, there's no fun in that. It's just kind of weird for the sake of weird. I find it, yeah, I I found it to be a miserable experience each time I've tried to watch it. Right. Speaking of misery, Bicentennial Man or Scary Movie 2? (laughs) Scary Movie 2. Yeah. The Thing Pixels. The Thing. Yes. Earth Girls are easy or the core. Earth Girls are easy. Yes. 28 weeks later, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility. Sure. I don't really like 28 weeks later that much. <laughs> I didn't either. I only picked it because it, because it was up against Blue Velvet. Right. I like 28 days later a lot. Uh, duplex House of Sand and Fog. House of Sand and Fog. Incredible film. Yeah. Halloween H2O or Her? Her. By a lot. (laughs) All of Me, Moonraker. All of Me. Yeah. Star Trek 2009, Jason X. Star Trek. (laughs) I agree. But uh, I could see, like, if it was Aliens or something like that, a, a Josh movie, The Hobbit. <laughs> you go in Jason X. It's possible. It's absolutely possible. There's a lot of fun to be had with Jason in space. So, Were the Millers the producers? I honestly, I can barely remember either of those movies or how I felt about either of those movies. I'm currently working on a new blog where it's, going to be all of my old movie reviews going up and uh, I'm probably going to read reviews of those two movies and find out how I feel about them. <laughs> I don't remember. Obviously, I don't know that I knew you when you did the producers, but we're the Millers. <laughs> I remember your big thing was this is supposed to be rated our movie and there's nothing biting about it. It was just kind of a yeah. bland uh, yeah, just, just a stupid movie. Uh, I'll just refresh them both then. Yeah. We'll pretend I haven't seen either. <laughs> It'll be fun for me to, to write about. World War Z, Paths of Glory. <sighs> Paths of Glory. Yeah. The Expendables 2, Problem Child. I hate both of them with a fiery passion. You go ahead and pick. I'll go Problem Child for the nostalgia. <laughs> Which is <laughs> odd because Expendables <laughs> is supposed to be nostalgia pop that did not I did not get uh, the big sleep the karate kid the big sleep yes the chase phantom of the opera never seen the chase I've seen the Charlie Sheen's movie the chase <laughs> yes I have seen that black Klansman the phantom of the opera black Klansman over and over again that's one of those watch once a year movies for me. I love that movie. Tower, Secret Window. Secret Window. Agreed. Samurai 3, the do Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story 4, Zack and Mary make a porno. That's tough. That is so tough, honestly. Oh, man. I don't know which way I want to go on that. I mean, I love Toy Story 4, but I love Zack and Mary. Zack and Mary, unfortunately. I, I gotta, I, I just, I love that movie. Yeah. I think if it was Toy Story 1 or 3, I probably would have yeah. definitely gone Toy Story. 4 I liked. Uh, I mean, I'm also part of the cult of Kevin Smith, so it's hard for me to fall off of that as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rosemary's Baby, Insomnia. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm somebody who actually liked yoga hosers. So what, do you, what does that say about me? I love that movie. I, right. And my my daughter, who was the age of the people that should watch that movie, loved it. And all her friends watched it over and over again forever. That movie did not. <laughs> it played for the wrong audience and did not get the right proper chance. Um, I, I prefer Insomnia to Rose, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. It's a little... I don't know. Just things about it. <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic, Weird Science. Weird Science. Mostly nostalgia. Yeah, I have no real opinion of either one. 
the HUD sucker proxy tag. Tag. I love tag. Yeah, tag with the other. It's hilarious. Prometheus, Scream 3. Good God. Scream 3 is the only thing that can make Prometheus seem good. <laughs> I agree. That's how bad Scream 3 is. Hijack stories. Okay. Never heard of it. Spice World, Grumpy Old Man. <laughs> Grumpy Old Man. Yeah. Mannequin 2 on the move. Star Trek 4 <laughs> The Voyage Home. Don't know which way to go. They're both terrible. Um fuck, I don't know. Which way are you going? <laughs> I mean, Star Trek 4 is kind of the Rocky 4 of the Star Trek movies, I thought. Isn't this Fair like the whales and shit? Yeah. I remember liking that one okay. As someone who hated Star Trek my entire life, that was the only one I could stand up until the newer ones. Uh, Red Dragon, the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. Yeah. Shout yeah, that, out to Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's the news we to talk about. He's uh, apparently just not able to hold lines anymore. Yeah, that's not fun. You know, everybody makes... We've always given him shit for his latest movies and all that, but that was his career. It was something he loved to do, and now he can't do it anymore. That's a shame. It really does suck. Yeah. Uh, School of Rock Collateral. That's hard for me. That is so hard. Like those are two really awesome movies. For very um, different reasons. Yeah, I'm picking Collateral, but uh, I love School of Rock. God, Let the coin decide. Yeah. I... <laughs> That's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It's like trying to choose your children here. Yeah, School of Rock won, but that's not... I mean, Collateral is fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Empire of the Sun. Last Jedi. I think we're few of the people that liked that one. Ocean's Eleven, An Officer and a Gentleman. Ocean's Eleven. Agreed. Justice League, The Client. Is this the one that what's his name came in and ruined uh not came in yeah joss, J- joss whedon. whedon yeah Ugh. yeah because it doesn't say snyder cut so it's the it's the other one for snyder cut this would be very easy i'd pick the oh, snyder yeah, cut <laughs> uh i'm actually gonna pick the client i mean i liked the client book when i read it the movie i thought was a little lame but yeah i was also in eighth grade or freshman or whatever so i was pretty young when i read that piece of crap john christian book that are all the same over and over again <laughs> in good company police academy 2 the first assignment in good company is bland forgettable but better than police academy the conjuring taken taken for me it's conjuring for me Oh, the crosses are upside down. All the the photos are falling off the wall. That's not as fair for the conjuring as some of the other movies. Uh, oh, an old man's going to take my daughter and I can't beat him. Or, gonna, <laughs> conjuring won the coin flip. <laughs> uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Batman begins. Batman begins. <laughs> you believe have you heard the last recent interview with Matthew McConaughey? And I'm sure he said it before. He turned down $14.5 million to be in a romantic comedy again because he doesn't want to do them. Oh, no. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. That's a, that'd be tough. <laughs> <laughs> Runaway Bride Flubber. Oh, which flaming tire fire do you prefer? Um, Runaway Bride because my mom loved it. <laughs> Runaway Bride or Pretty Woman? Uh, fuck, both. Fuck both of them. Fuck, burn them, burn them to di- burn them down. So fucking hate them. But both better than Flubber. <laughs> yeah. Kinda, yeah. Uh, fifty-fifty flirting. I've not seen flirting, even though it has uh, Nicole Kidman, a very no, young Nicole I, Kidman. It looks very Gen Xy and cool, but I've never even heard of it. Fifty-fifty. Hmm. Uh, some of all fears. 50-50. Agreed. Layer cake. I still know what you did last summer. 
layer cake, I guess. Yeah. I'm indifferent to both those movies. One's a sequel, so it's probably even worse than the movie I was indifferent to that they originally made. Uh, the Purge election year, there's something about Mary. There's something by, about Mary. Yes. The Hunger Games Catching Fire, 1408. Hunger Games. 1408 that I found out I really like. <laughs> I remember liking it, but it's been so long. But The Hunger Games was like, a decent... This blog is going to be fun just for me remembering movies that I saw that like, oh, did I actually I actually like that? Oops. <laughs> like Due Date. I thought I hated Due Date. No, I don't hate Due Date. I, I kind of liked Due Date. <laughs> So if you find out you kind of liked it, do you go back and watch it or no? God, no. I don't have time for that. <laughs> it is funny, though. Even like when we reviewed Superman, the 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 first one that, oh, what's his name? Zack Snyder did. We all kind of liked yeah. it. And then the further we got, got <laughs> we started shitting on it a little bit more and more. Yeah. Planes. It's weird how that works. Planes, training, automobiles, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Ooh, that's hell for you. It is. So planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. How to lose a guy in 10 days is just unwatchable. Even with two of the most beautiful people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Notting Hill, there will be blood. There will be blood. That's closer than it seems, though. <laughs> I love Notting Hill. I'm kind of indifferent on both, so I'll just go with you. The Replacements, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Not hard at all. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang is awesome. Rush Hour, Beverly Hills Ninja. Rush Hour. Limitless, The Godfather Part 2. The Godfather Part 2. Santa Claus 2, Bad Santa. (laughs) Bad Santa. Yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Analyze this. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I know that's what I'm supposed to pick, but I'm such a Robert De Niro mark. <sighs> Go ahead and flip. I don't care. It's fine. Oh, finally, I lost one today. <laughs> uh, Tinker Tailor one for those paying attention at home. Crumb, Chicken Little. Crumb. Yes, the Karate Kid Part Three taken. Taken. Flipping. <laughs> oh, damn it! I actually like Karate Kid Three, but Taken wins. This is the end. The Phantom Menace. This is the end. Oblivion mirrors. Oblivion. Underworld super bad. Super bad. Fantasia Two Thousand Adventures and Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting. Yes. Black Hawk Down, Animal House. Black Hawk Down. Greed, re, the Rebirth of Mothra. <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, the Cat and the Canary, Spy Game. No. Nah. heard that one either. Mr. Holland's Opus, Spy Game. <laughs> I don't. Spy Game. I don't really give a shit. I think I remember liking Spy Game in 2001. <laughs> Uh, Red Eye, My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro. It's a lovely film, but you haven't. Let's. You can just blow that yeah, one out. I've never seen it. Date Night or Red Eye? Red Eye. Great yeah. premise, well executed. Uh, really, really solid thriller. And Date Night was kind of weak considering the cast. I thought Beauty and the Beast, yeah. rock star. It's funny. I think I I think I liked Beauty and the Beast in 2017. I don't remember if I did or not. Um, Rockstar is a terrible movie that I could watch a thousand times. So I'm picking that. (laughs) I watch it to shit on it. I watch it to shit on it, but I I I genuinely enjoy shitting on it like a lot. It's just so much fun to make fun of. Yeah. Uh, Mark Wahlberg just is completely out of his depth in that movie. <laughs> just he has completely lost. But it is so much. It is such a great comic performance, unintentional all the way. Yeah, and I love in the credits when they're they play one of his Marky Mark songs instead of <laughs> the <laughs> rock song he's supposed to be playing. 
Uh, Space Cowboys Hostage. Hostage. Actually, a very good movie. Bird on a Wire, Chinatown. Chinatown. Bird on a Wire is terrible, considering the It cast. is. Awful. Uh, it should be Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but it's not. Or the, there's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All right. I feel like we're turning into a Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> into, the, <laughs> into the Abyss X-Men. I don't remember what Into the Abyss is, so I, don't, yeah, I couldn't uh, tell you. Terminator, Salvation, X-Men. Uh, which which flaming pile of garbage do you prefer? I guess X-Men smells... It doesn't smell as bad. Yeah. <laughs> if this one isn't fun, we'll just end it here. All right. Looper, Lost World, last one. Looper. In honor of Bruce Willis, we'll pick one of his movies. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.